Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker. Welcome to Talk of Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. This week, the window has shut. Yes, after one of the longest transfer windows on record, in the middle of a global pandemic, no less, the transfer window is finally over and Manchester United don't really have Jaden Sancho. But they do have a bunch of other noise and a bunch of new players to talk about. Joining me to make sense of what's going on at Manchester United, I'm joined as ever by Laurie Whitwell, my fellow beat writer on Man United. Hi Laurie, how are you doing? I'm alright Carl, it's been a long day but I'm glad to be talking to you guys. Also with me, he makes every episode better and he knows far more about Manchester United than I will ever learn. Uh, it's editor of United We Stand and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you doing? Hi Carl, long day, just been stood outside Old Trafford in the rain but all okay. Right and listen, we've got loads of good Manchester United who's currently on The Athletic uh, involving brand new signing Alex Telis. Uh, the coming matador Edison Cavani will be coming soon and Laurie will have a very special piece on a very certain player that isn't at Manchester United in due time uh, if you want to access any of this carving Manchester United's past, present or future access is currently just £1 per month to new subscribers all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up that's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up Laurie, what happened to Manchester United on transfer deadline day? A lot of stuff's been going on, Carl. Um, United are signing four players. Three have been announced uh, as yet. We're, we're sort of 15 minutes ahead of the 11 o'clock deadline. So we expect Facundo Palistri, who is a, a player that Andy knows all about because he, he wrote about him weeks ago um, coming to United. We expect him to be announced. But um, the three that have been announced, Alex Talese, as we know, uh, Edinson Cavani and Ahmed Diallo, which is a bit of a left field one uh, for a lot of money um, that we're going to be talking about. Um, 20 million euro, 21 million euro, sorry initial fee 20 million uh, in add-ons 18 year old winger from Atlanta who does look exciting but seems a curious buy given as we all know United didn't push the belt out for Jaden Sancho so the priorities we're trying to figure it out really uh, and I'm sure that'll come to pass in the next couple of days but um, yeah Jaden Sancho was the big one that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted throughout the whole window um, and as the piece that uh, you talk about, uh, we go into we go into the sort of details as to why that didn't happen um, in quite a lot of depth, and it effectively felt like United were waiting on doing that deal or not the whole way through. And then as soon as they they thought we're not going to do this deal, that they I think they thought they they were waiting for Borussia Dortmund to blink on the 120 million euro price. They said right, okay, we'll go and push the trigger on these other signings which aren't in the same positions. Certainly not at first team level. Cavani, you know, elite striker, 33 years old, scored tons of goals and, and will bring uh, you know clear experience and I think work. I think you speak to uh, some people that know him from uh, Paris Saint Germain and, and talk about the, the fitness that he keeps himself in. But he's also had injuries, so uh, you know what kind of influence is he going to bring? And then Alex Talese, who looks again an an interesting signing at left back. We saw Luke Shaw struggle hugely against Tottenham, um, and he will provide competition in that aspect. Um, Brandon Williams actually is another one to mention. He um, was looking at a low move to Southampton to go and get games, and I'm led to believe that he actually said that he would like to go and pursue that low move. But United turned around and said, "You'll get games with us. Stay with us." And he was satisfied with that in the end. But we'll see how that one develops. It's, it's one to watch, I think. So there's been lots of activity. 
it's kind of frustrating that we're here again. Um, you know, it's, we've, we've got used to it with previous windows last summer. Mario Mandzukic and Paulo Dybala were, were sort of trying to get through before deadline. And that was because United took so long to sell Romelu Lukaku. Then we had it in January with Bruno Fernandes only arriving late and Odin Agallo coming on deadline day. And, and that felt frantic. And it's this same frantic feel to it that just feels unedifying for Manchester United. You know, you look at other clubs and the way they do their business with clear precision swiftness um you know you look at liverpool even manchester city i know they've signed a player recently but he you know was signed before deadline and went in and played against leeds united so um that's the kind of issue that united have and it's it's a frustrating one and it it feels like it hampers the manager because he wants the players in as soon as he can so they're all ready and prepared and i think the issue then falls onto the team in the do the players feel like this competition like this pressure on their place if um, there isn't a continual uh, renewal of the squad um, so yeah listen it's it's you know signings are better than none but they don't address the issues that you know were clearly identified and the pursuit of, of Jaden Sancho or, or the kind of the lack of it really as, as the piece goes into will cast a long shadow over the business this summer Andy I want to get your thoughts on this it was a busy transfer window for Manchester United would you call it a bright one I think we'll have to judge that because at the moment I, you know, I agree with almost everything that, that Laurie says United missed out on their main target, spent far too long trying to get him. Dortmund made their position clear and didn't move from that. And we have a situation today where five players have joined, not all of them for the first team. And um, um, Traore uh, and Pelestre, I'd be surprised if they're United first team level from what I've been told so far at the current stage in their career. They're both very good prospects according to people I know who've watched them a lot more than, than I have. And also, 16-year-old Willy Kambala has been signed from Sochaux in France. He's a captain of France's under-17s. He's a central defender. I mean, this is great for the future. The way that the, the youth section is being stocked up with talents who seem really, really promising, I think is a good thing. And I've, li- I've written a lot about the youth system. Um, Cavani... I've we all know who he is. You know, United tried to sign him twice in the past. I, I'll tell you what I did with him and Palestre. I spoke to Diego Forlan because he knows far, far more about both of them than I ever will. One, he was Palestre's manager. So he was the man who took the call from Oli Gunnar in June, who did detailed questions on the type of person he was. Can he speak English? What's his family like? Is he a good character? And I wrote that story for The Athletic on on the 4th of July. Unfortunately, Diego's since lost his job, but he knows his football. And what I said to him yesterday was, is Cavani still, has he still got it? Can he stand out at Manchester United? And I'd like to think that I know him well enough for him to be honest with me and say either on or off the record what the truth is. And he said, no, Cavani will. He's still got it. He's very professional. Uh, the others will learn from him, not from what he says, but what from what he does. His dedication to his training. And this, he's not talking about his best mate here, not at all. I mean, I've known Fallon for 20 years and I've never sensed that him and Cavani are close mates. I, when he's telling me this, I'm sensing that he's telling me the truth. So his reference was, was glowing about uh, Cavani with Palestre. It was more measured. It was, yeah, one for the future, but he's still got a lot to learn. He's good when he receives the ball, he's good going forward, but 
in front of goal and I wrote this in the original piece, he's still got a lot to learn. So I said to him, well, can you think of any two-footed former strikers who might be able to teach him a thing or two about goal scoring? <laughs> so I feel that I've got good information on those two. So Cavani, I'm excited by him. Baffled, but excited. I hope he's more of an Ibrahimovic than a Falcao. Although Falcao trained really hard, worked really hard, just wasn't happening for him. And then we look at the others. Uh, Alex Tellis. Tellis, Tellis, Tellis. Uh, I've not watched him loads. I've seen him three or four times and he, he comes very highly recommended. Um, I think that left-back position is there for increased competition. I wouldn't say there for the taking, although it was definitely after the Tottenham game when the whole of the defence was, was dreadful. I think there's a little bit of a turnaround. If we would have been speaking towards the end of last season, we would have probably said... Brandon Williams and Luke Shaw have got the left-back position sorted. And it's moved away from that because that's not a given anymore. That's why United have spent money on an experienced left-back who will be coming in thinking that he's going to be a first-team player. So definitely a good addition. Dean Henderson, decent. Donny van der Beek, decent. So looking at it that way, I'm pretty encouraged by the players who've come in. But it all seems so mishmashed and even... Two or three hours ago, United were still trying to get uh, Dembele from Barcelona. And they just went for, they spent too long going for Jaden Sancho. And it's not the first time United have been shocked into action after a terrible start to the season. This happened in 2014 when under Louis van Gaal, the team lost their opening game against Swansea. Everybody was fuming like they have been after the two home defeats. Went out, but Di Maria didn't work, but Falcao didn't work beat QPR 4-0 when they come in. Everyone thought, great, we're going to win the league again and then lost 5-3 at Leicester. And the season lurched and United have never really stopped lurching. There's never really been a spell of sustained excellence of the type required to be winning league titles or even to be winning um, cup competitions in the last uh, couple of years. They seem a long way off that. So I, I, I felt towards the end of last season, United were getting there. And had these signings come in on the final day of last season, I would have been even more confident. But I'm more circumspect because of the way that the summer's gone. So it's all about results, Carl. If United and Cavani start flying and Telles is fantastic, then you'd have to credit the way that the business has been done. But it just doesn't quite feel like it at the moment. Listener, we'll have uh, pieces coming on The Athletic soon on how these players play. But, Laurie, I want to talk about some of these players that didn't turn up. So, as Andy said, Usman Dembele, Ishmael Sarr of Watford. What happened with the Plan Bs? Well, again, it seems, as Andy said, this sort of mishmash, this, this kind of approach didn't feel like it was done with authority on United's behalf, like they knew with a clear vision what they were going to do. It felt like the offers into them by intermediaries, by clubs looking to sell the players or get rid of the players. And they and they looked at them and they sort of observed them. And listen, you know, maybe I'm being harsh in that respect for, for criticising them, for looking at them and, and trying to do something. But it, it feels like uh, they were reacting rather than being proactive, uh, you know, with a clear plan. So with Usman Dembele, 
you know, we came on the market. Barcelona are absolutely trying to get rid of a lot of players, as Andy, you know, well knows and has talked about before. Um, you know, Usman Dembele has not had a great time with injuries at Barcelona, and he was available. Barcelona wanted a fee for him, though they wanted to sell him. Sixty million was was supposedly the price. United only ever looked at a loan. That slightly changed a little bit during deadline day, where um, Barcelona would have perhaps been open to a loan if Dembele had extended his contract for a year, but that then didn't really happen. And, and I mean, you know, for the final few hours of of deadline, United, uh, for their perspective, they thought that that deal was was done and, and dead. Um, Ishmael Assar. Uh, again, another one they looked at. Liverpool had a look at him, but Watford were asking for something like forty-five million pounds. So uh, United felt that that was, you know, too much money. Not not really proven in the Premier League. I know he had a decent spells last season with Watford, but wasn't anything that you'd go. He's worth that kind of money for. So again, United were looking at a loan uh, with an option to buy. Watford wanted an obligation to buy, and my colleague Sam Lee and Adam Leventhal had a good story about the fact that. Uh, Watford wanted a sort of twenty million pound loan fee payable, even if they didn't activate the option to buy at the end, which is you know remarkable suggestion. And United turned that down. So, I mean, the thing is, the window stays open till October the sixteenth for uh, domestic moves. So, you know, that one perhaps isn't quite you know <laughs> totally ruled out, but. Um, to be registered for the Champions League, it needs to be done in the next 24 hours, and you know, obviously that that looks like that's not going to happen. So um, that's they're the two other options, you know, that, that kind of came to the fore, you know, late late on. Um, but it just it just boils back to this fact that United spent so long toying with the idea of, of buying Jaden Sancho that they've they've ended up you know active so busily on on deadline day and. It just feels, you know, it's just history repeating itself every time. You know, you kind of want a window where there's, you know, good moves made early, made with with clinical precision, and it doesn't seem to happen. Um, I mean, Ahmed Diallo, you know, listen, I don't know loads about him. Um, I've spoken to a couple of people when it became clear that that's somebody that United were genuinely interested in. Uh, One text back was from a scout who watched him against Man City's under-19s in October 2019, and apparently he was brilliant, you know, best player on the park by a long way and, and, and Atlanta won that game and he also scored on his debut against Udinese with a really nice move off the right flank onto his left foot and a shot from 20 yards and, and you know just looking at some clips of him you can see that he's clearly got speed and, and close control but £37 million possibly for, for a player an 18 year old that isn't going to go as Andy says he's, you know, he's not going to go straight into the first team is he the coaches are going to have to have a look at him at Carrington and see what he's about see if he's sort of ready mentally and physically for for uh, for the, for the um, tasks at Old Trafford and you know with the work permit issue he's not going to be coming till January anyway so th- there's that uh, element to it all as well um, I mean it looks to me it, I got a feeling of when United signed Anthony Marshall you know for a lot of money not a lot of experience and he became Joel Glazer's favourite player so I wonder if they're looking at it and thinking you know I wonder if Joel Glazer's involved in that regard in this one he, he does like to study moves particularly for a lot of money but um, so I wonder if he's thinking it could be another Anthony Marshall situation but um, given the kind of fees that they were debating over Jaden Sancho it it feels a, a curious signing to make late on for all the fact that he might be a really good player and go on to perform well for United. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Athletic, The Next Big Thing. You know, there's nothing better than, I don't think as a fan, to see a lad coming on for his debut and I love the way they can't even fill the shirt properly. It's an absolutely stunning goal! 
This season, we'll be drawing on the knowledge of our incredible football writers to give you the ultimate briefing on the stars of tomorrow. You know, people always question, you know, what, what is the plan for these young players? Our experts know these players better than anyone else. That's the thing with him. I mean, when he, he made his debut with the first team, I, I sort of said to him before the game, I have no worry about you. You know, I just, I know... Uh, how confident you are in your own ability, but he hasn't got that overconfidence. It all starts on September the 28th with a full profile of Liverpool's Billy Cometio. Footballers now are getting so much criticism from all sections of society. They can't deal with it from the players they're meant to be playing with. They haven't got much of a chance, really. From what I hear, you know, he's, he's got a big personality and somebody who really believes in himself. That's the next big thing, the latest podcast from The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Heading into the international break now, Manchester United were... <sighs> humiliated at the hands of Tottenham Hotspur on the Sunday. Andy, I want to talk to you about this a little bit. Do you think Manchester United's transfer activity is a reaction to that defeat? Not really. The pressure will have increased because of that result, but I think all of these moves were were moving. Um, I knew about the, um, the, the Ahmed from Atalanta, I think I wrote that on the 10th of September. So that's almost a month ago. Palestre, we said July the 4th. Um, Telesh, we've known for a few weeks. Cavani, uh, didn't know anything about that. I don't know if a lorry did until uh, last Thursday, last Friday. So I think there's always been the willing to bring players in, in this transfer window. United have just left it as ever, as Laurie says, very, very late. Sunday was a horror show. I walked in that ground saddened because the streets around Old Trafford were completely empty. Some of the shops were up for sale. There wasn't a soul about apart from stewards guarding the ground. And it was just the opposite of what football should be. And then I thought United would win because I always do. And I have done since I've been six. And I'll probably die thinking that. And now that mood can evaporate within minutes of the game starting. But, you know, after 31 seconds, I thought, yeah, four straight wins here. I knew exactly what I was talking about in my mind. United are going places. And five minutes later, it was a disaster. Tottenham absolutely shredded United. And probably the worst performance I think I've seen. I've never seen... Uh, a team so dominant in the first half at Old Trafford. It's the second six one I've seen, unfortunately. But even then, when City scored them six in 2011, two or three of them came very late on in the game. And Tottenham were battering United well before Anthony Martial was, was sent off. And it just puzzles me how a team who looked on the way to being convincing around the lockdown now look like they're completely short of confidence and individual players are being criticised because they're playing exceptionally badly and I think the manager's got to take some criticism here as well I think this pod's been pretty supportive of him 
But if you're presiding over a 6-1 home defeat, you've got to take that as well. I thought it was shambles. Everyone involved in that performance uh, was performing way below the levels expected of Manchester United. And it wasn't isolated either. United have conceded, I saw you do a piece earlier, Carl, about 11 goals conceded in the first three league games. I mean, this, this is atrocious. United have the home form they've stopped winning at home because even last season those last couple of home matches where points were dropped against Southampton and West Ham this just isn't good enough it's not good enough for Manchester United and Ole Gunnar will be judged by results and he's had the players brought in now he sanctioned these players are these prime targets no I can argue it both ways on Jadon Sancho I do think that 120 million is ridiculous and said that right throughout the United will never pay that amount of money especially in the the COVID afflicted economic uh, climate but I don't think the club have gone out this morning and gone right we've got to get them players in to be fair to the club I do think they've scouted extensively especially with the young players and I know examples you know and of those names there the only one I know that United uh, have not been working on for a long time is Edson Cavani and it, that's an opportunistic signing and that's the one that probably excites me the most because I still think he'll be on a mission still think he's a great player he's just turned 33 it's not like players are finishing at 33 anymore Lionel Messi's 33 and he's still the best player in the world Cavani's not Messi's class but he's been the class below that and that is a big improvement on anything we've got at Manchester United at the moment like, what did you see at Old Trafford in that game? How was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reaction? Is this sort of is Edison Cavani going to make things better? He'll certainly provide an option whilst Anthony Martial's out suspended, won't he? Um, three games for a sort of petulant slap on the on the neck, and I can understand why Solskjaer was so furious, and I quite admired his response. Um, you know, in terms of Eric Lamella going down, um, you know, with the softest of glances, he, he knew what he was doing. Uh, having just sort of launched a kind of a forearm into Martial's face with with more ferocity, I would say, um, you know, if you're going to send one of them off, you send both of them off. Um, you know, and Solskjaer came out and, and said about Lamella that if that was his son, he'd, he wouldn't. He would be. Uh, he would be on bread and water for for two weeks, and and you know, admonished him. Um, but then at the same time, uh, you know, I, I don't think he could say much else about the performance. He held his hands up, um, and I do think a lot of scrutiny should fall on his shoulders for it because, you know, at half time the substitutions were. Uh, Matic off and Bruno off Pogba stayed on Pogba was playing that game towards the end like it was a -a five-a-side game Uh, it was embarrassing Uh, I mean the the slide tackle on Ben Davies was a dereliction of duty really and uh, there was other players that I think could have been subbed off I mean Luke Shaw stayed on uh, and I guess he didn't really have many options on the bench but Shaw you know could easily have got sent off himself for that foul on Lucas Moura which was you know, just uh, and you saw Solskjaer's reaction in the background. And you kind of, my mind was flickered back to when Solskjaer did the similar thing against Rob Lee uh, when when he was charging through, clean through for Newcastle, and, and Ferguson absolutely tore him apart. Apparently, in the dressing room afterwards, because he said that's not what United players do. And, and Solskjaer, you could see in the background to, to react Shaw's reaction. You could see him reacting to Shaw's tackle with sort of arms up in the air, kind of, you know, pretty disgusted really. But I think the decisions that he made, you know, do fall on him. And, and you sort of wonder about 
the team, you know, how he'd sent them out. Um, Maguire, I don't know if it's something to do with what happened in Greece, whether that's playing on his mind, um, but his decision-making seems all over the place. I mean, that that first goal, the two headers are kind of curious enough, and then he's fouling Luke Shaw um, <laughs> to try and get the ball. It's sort of almost like he's trying to do too much, and, and in that kind of manic state, you know, Tottenham are, are the cooler team and, and score. It was, it was a really weird atmosphere really weird game United actually you know started with real purpose and even at 2-1 down I thought they had chances you know Spurs were, were they could have got at Spurs really you know they, they were kind of creating a few openings but it was every time Spurs came forward you thought they were going to score I mean Son had so much space Matic was sort of scrambling back and at one point and, and you know it was just lucky for United that Son miscontrolled it but Spurs knew exactly what to do Mourinho set them up perfectly to um, you know penetrate United's midfield which you know seemed non-existent for a lot of the time so it was really concerning I mean the the one the one caveat I would add is that I just wonder now if the empty stadiums are having a kind of effect on players mentality where that shame that comes from playing in front of thousands of fans you know and you and you lose and, and you, you keep losing you know the goals are totting up kind of you know, ev- evaporates a little bit and it becomes a feeling like a training game, like a, a, a friendly match. Uh, because you look at the Liverpool game, you know, that evening as well, you know, and I'm sure Andy's got a funny line to say about it, but, um, you know, th- th- that was just you know, mad as well. We're seeing a lot of these games that are just curious, that are really odd. And you just sort of wonder if it is the, the sort of lasting effects of behind closed doors matches. And I know, you know, people will say, well, it was the same last season, um, you know, when United were, were on a good run. And so you can't, you know, use it. You can't have it both ways and, and say that the professional last season and, and, and what's happened this season. But I think that that was about last season they they were clearly fighting something building towards it they could see the end and and they thought this is, we just have to get through these games whereas now this feels like you know when's it going to end it feels like it's going to be this this the setup for a while so you know that's the only caveat I would add it's a strange time there's games coming thick and fast and you know so I think you will get more of these freak results but it was really really concerning from a United perspective and I think Solskjaer is aware that he needs a real response after the international break I saw a Tottenham side that frequently used Alec Lamella to constantly run inside to drag Luke Shaw into the middle of the pitch. That created overloads for Serge Aurier to go on the overlap and get in loads of crosses. I also saw Harry Kane dropping deep, which more normally should be the position where maybe Martial should be dropping to maybe stop him. You saw Nemanja Matic try and pick him up, which meant Paul Pogba had to do defending. As we talked the week before, Paul Pogba was not the uh, most dedicated defender, shall we say. And when you had those two massive gaps, that's where I think a lot of the organisational problems for Manchester United occurred from. When Manchester United come back from the international break, they have games against Newcastle, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Chelsea, Red Bull Leipzig and Arsenal. Laurie, what's the vibe going to be when things get back? Well, I mean, in a way, maybe the international break has come at a good time because, you know, players will go away with the countries and hopefully have good experiences, come back and, and kind of be reset almost from the, the, you know, the chastening experience of that defeat. It really is a bruising one. I know certain people would say you should get them in at 7am and get them double training sessions. You know, ideally we'd like them in the place and we can, we can work out of them that way, but maybe just having a bit of time apart is good and you come back and you try and fix things. I mean, the, the difficulty is obviously the matches are coming so thick and fast. So those tactical 
issues that you talk about you know obviously maybe you know they were exploited to the max by Mourinho but other clubs can look at that and clearly there were issues against Crystal Palace and Brighton so how is there enough time on the training pitch to, to work on those things you obviously hope that the new signings come in and, and make a, a real impact so um, yeah it's difficult to say really at this point because 6-1 in the way that it happened as Andy's described it was different to the Manchester City 6-1 it was a, a real humbling it wasn't like United were, were going for it at the end and got caught out on, on the counter attack um, so it's going to take something to, to get over this and, and you just hope that you know it's a win you know soon as because I think the longer that it, it goes without doing so that the more that the chatter will start around the club certain chatter linking potential new managers to Manchester United Andy does this just happen every time Manchester United have a bad defeat or do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could be feeling some pressure right now it happens when results drop at any major football club in the world I think Holly's under pressure every single day because people are always trying to uh, catch him out, whether it's, it's journalists, whether it's players. If you're manager of Manchester United, the pressure's unrelenting. To be fair to him, I think he handles the pressure quite well. He doesn't always come across overly convincingly in, in press conferences, but I think he's a good guy and I think he handles the pressure well. And... He's got to marry the fact that he's got a relationship with Ed Woodward and they might not always agree on on the type of targets that um, Ollie would want or he might not get the plays in that he wants. Um, so he wanted Sancho, for example. That's a perfect example of that. It's just all about results. I've said a few times, I don't think it would be acceptable if United 14 games in had only won 14 league games like like last year. Wasn't good enough then. But you could say last season that this is his first full season. He's still building. And he's still building now. And he maintains that he needs a couple more transfer windows. But there has to be improvement. There has to be minimum requirements. It is United with the second highest wage bill in, in world football. And I think you would get more fan discontent against the manager also against the Glazers, also against Ed Woodward. Sentiment's quite strong at the moment. And it's quite unusual because the mood is always set most strongly at the matches. That's where the players feel in real life what the fans are thinking. And that's not happening now. So the mood is being gauged on social media, which Mm. has always been a wildly knee-jerk and angry uh, place, especially Twitter. You can see whenever United's lineup is named, there's a fury. I saw it at Brighton last week. This is disgraceful. And it just quietens when the team plays well and wins and doesn't when the team don't, like against Tottenham or against Palace. So it doesn't always reflect reality, I don't think. I can remember first seeing Twitter in its worst state when United failed to beat Swansea City on the way to winning the league in 2013. And I thought, football teams do drop points now and then. It just does happen to the best of the teams. And social media can can be quite vicious for that. But fans are not stupid either and the media aren't stupid. United have got to have minimum requirements. And this has been a poor start to the season. It's it's the first time since 86-87 that United have lost their opening two league games. What happened that season? The manager, Ron Atkinson, lost his job by the end of October because the team were performing really badly. And I think Ollie's probably moved into the 
the third or fourth stage now of or chapter of his career he's no longer the new guy uh, he's no longer the guy who's been given his new signings and a chance to watch them bed in fans are a little bit longer in the tooth now in December he will have been there for two years and two years is a good amount of time at a top club and I think fans expect to see more improvements and I don't think that's unreasonable uh, either he's got to get results um, he, he, he has to and he was getting them after January and that's what baffles me that they've stopped coming and the individuals you know, like Laurie said like self said with, with Pogba with Maguire with Luke Shaw Aaron Wambasaka as well their form is way short of what it was last season and that's a real worry not only do we have to consider players that were coming into Manchester United we also have to consider players going out uh, so it's farewell to Chris Smalling one of the longest serving members of Manchester United's team has departed to Roma in a move worth 15 million with a possible 5 million extra in add-ons uh, Sergio Romero has also decided to leave Manchester United and his wife has left a strongly worded comment on Instagram uh, about his treatment Laurie Manchester United definitely had a number of players they wanted to offload this summer, but quite a few of them haven't come to pass. Is this the same problem about getting players in as well, getting players out? Yeah, it's a recurring theme. Um, I, I did a piece sort of in a more general term on the difficulties of moving on players that are no longer wanted. Just you know, from the from the base point that is you know one uh, sporting director told me that you know so, as long as you as soon as you say that a player you know is out on the transfer market, uh, other clubs think there must be something wrong with him. Um, I, you know, and, and that's not necessarily always the case. You know, I mean, Chris Smalling has has done. Uh, really well for Manchester United over the years and some would say he could still be their best defender if he'd stayed um, but he did well for Roma on loan last season and, and they always wanted to make it permanent it was a crazy deadline day though it, it was it sort of oscillated in different directions Antonio Rudiger was um, was was on Roma's uh, sort of wish list at one point when it looked like the Smalling thing had collapsed and in the end actually you know a sort of £18 million deal for, for Smalling's a, a pretty good one I imagine that they've um, sorted him out contract wise because I can't imagine that he's on the same level of terms as he is at United so there will be a uh, sort of a, a gap that United need to make up so I'm sure that's coming out of the, the transfer fee um, that Roma have paid um, but it's actually not not bad business I think in, in the circumstances for a player that was you know really or wrongly surplus to requirements and I think everyone wishes him well at Roma United released a, a nice statement to that effect. Um, Sergio Romero is a, a slightly different situation he uh, I think feels uh, well I, I wrote uh, in a piece um, when Dean Henderson signed his new contract and didn't go out on loan that was the clear sign to Romero that he was you know third choice and, and kind of you know open for uh, for, for transfer um, but that wasn't communicated directly to him by anybody at United I think that's caused real frustration also the uh, two times that he was dropped from cup semi-finals for David De Gea United lost both those games as his wife uh, pointed out on Instagram uh, and I think that really um, upsets him. Um, so um, he's not been training with United at the moment. He's, he's away from Carrington, um, you know, on, on holiday, I believe, and uh, and clearly wanted to move on from the club. Um, Everton were interested, but I think they wanted a loan or, uh, you know, a, a low-cost transfer. United's price had been previously sort of 18 at least. So there was obviously a big gap to, to make up on deadline day and, and he'll be with United. Obviously, there's a you know a chance again with that, that, that loan uh, staying open to October. 
October the 16th um, that you know, something could happen. But uh, Diogo Dello obviously going on, on loan to AC Milan, Andres Pereira on loan to Lazio, you know, to United are getting wages, uh, you know, sorted in, in those situations, but they're not getting, you know, the kind of finances that they could have then reinvested. You look at Liverpool and the amount of money that they've managed to generate from theirs this summer, something like 50 million. And, you know, United need to be at that level where they need to be deciding quickly and early which players to sell. Uh, and, and listen, cutting the cord if they need to, you know, uh, making sure that they do get full value for certain players, even if they think, you know, it seems like a lot of players are kept on in the hope that something might happen for them at United, whereas the, the sort of the better, smarter move might be to actually cut the cord and, and sell them for, for a decent price. So um, Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo are still at United as well. Um, I think um, sort of injury problems have have uh, sort of affected their potential move. So um, yeah, not a full, you know, range of, of players that, that have been sold that probably Solskjaer would have um, ideally liked but um, I think a decent price for for Smalling and Romero is probably one to watch Just in addition to what Laurie said there United feel that clubs who are interested in their players often come in with derisory offers and they say you know you're, you're Man United you're the, you're the richest club in the world uh, or you're supposed to be um, you know we'll offer you one million and it's not just a monetary thing. United feel if clubs are offering such low amounts for players, including some of the, the lads who Laurie just mentioned, then those players will not be of vital importance because they'll be disposable to them because they've not paid a lot of money for them. And United feel that if they pay more money for them, they would value them more. That's the only way of looking at it. And there is this reoccurring problem because United are close to the top of the football transfer fee in, uh, tree in terms of the wages that invariably when they try and get rid of underperforming players they have to either subsidise their wages or accept a, a lower offer there and there's still players there who are on a fortune who are unlikely to feature much this season with Romero I can see his point of view there and he he was really disappointed when David De Gea came back in 15 and he lost his place. He feels that he never let the team down. And to be fair to him, he, he didn't do. And he had a good relationship with, with David. But he is quite right in the, in those cup matches and on that run to the Europa League final. He was really good. And he feels a bit let down because he feels that he should be able to leave for, for a lower amount. He feels that the club have given him slightly inconsistent messages. And... It's going to be an unedifying end for Romero at Manchester United. Phil Jones, he's just injured too often. Even if the club wanted to sell him, they couldn't do because he's he's just injured. And he doesn't want to be injured, but he's just injured. I think he's had 18 different types of, of injury. So United do struggle to get players out and have consistently struggled to get players out. But there are mitigating factors uh, and with that. And I agree with Laurie when he says maybe decide earlier that a player is going to go. So take Pereira, for example. He thought until a few weeks ago that Oli wanted him. And then he's told that there's interest and he can go to Lazio if he wants. Probably a good move for him. He can play, probably suit Italian football. He can play at a decent standard. He'll look at what happened to the other United players. Half the team have already gone to Italy. Almost all of them have done, done really well, especially Chris Smalling. And I think Andreas is someone whose confidence hit, hit rock bottom, became a father in, in January, but 
he put his name into social media and it's, it's so negative towards him. So he needs to find his mojo and find his level and find his talent. And he probably played too much last year for United, but that's only because United started the season short of players. That wasn't, wasn't his fault, but no one's going to pretend that he was a success last season for, for United. So each player's got different circumstances and, United are very disappointed in some of the players and they can't come out and say it publicly because they're contracted players. They're disappointed in the way that some of them have come back and their weight after the um, after the little break that, that they had in the professionalism of one or two. And these are, deal- these are issues which Ollie has to deal with every day. He's the one who's giving out the rollickings and then 20 minutes later he'll go and face the media and put a smile on so Alex Ferguson did that as well. So there's there's all sorts of issues, but it, it, I'm I'm still told that the players are still having the manager. They they, they still, despite these bad results, uh, like him. Uh, think that the team can get better. But even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, well, show us the results because that Tottenham game was absolutely horrific. And even Brighton, the one game that they won, United were really lucky. Brighton and Nova Albion could have easily uh, won that match. Although in the League Cup game, United were far more convincing. Andy, quick question. Is the new issue of United, we stand out yet? It'll be out next week. We're just finishing it off now. 44 pages, loads of stuff in there, loads of interviews, which is slightly different style that you'd find on, on The Athletic. But yeah, we're finishing it off and it'll be out next week. Outside the ground. Oh no, there's no fans allowed outside the ground. So uh, you'd have to order it by... <laughs> Go to uwsonline.com and you can get the subscription details there. We've got subscribers around the world, digital and printed. We can send the mags out to you. Right. I think that's it. Uh, we'll see you sometime next week. Remember, listener, you can find some of the greatest Manchester United reading on God's Green Earth over on The Athletic right now. New subscribers can get membership for just £1 per month by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. But other than that, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, listeners. And goodbye from Andy. Goodbye, everyone. And that's another episode of Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.